suppose the average white student goes to a school that's more than 70% white, and less than a quarter of black students go to majority white schools. Jeffrey Brown takes a look at whatever happened to integration. This comes from a PBS NewsHour story in 2015. One metropolitan area where schools are largely segregated is St. Louis, and one year after the shooting death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, it's an issue that continues to resonate. I set out originally to make a unified campaign about housing and how to build more of it. But then I stumbled across the paper from a couple of professors at Stanford in this audio. Hannah Jones, let me start with you. Give us a quick overview of what you saw in Ferguson and its schools. What struck you most forcefully there? Well, the thing that strikes you most is this is one of the most segregated, impoverished districts in the entire state. There are 520 districts in Missouri, and this district ranked dead last. The Stanford paper found that the best way to convince people to allow more housing was to convince them on the merits of equality and justice rather than economic gain. And there was even a short-lived effort, I gather, there to bring some of the students from that school district to a another suburb, which was mostly white. In the audio? Well, the audio just explains how segregated St. Louis County's 23 school districts are. Because Normandy is uh, almost entirely black and lost its accreditation, it, under the law, was given the right to send its students to a accredited district. And in this case, the accredited districts are mostly heavily white. So I guess my mission now is to try to convince you that these two things are connected, that segregation and housing are not two separate issues or even rather connected issues, but the same issue. Cheryl Cashin, uh, it is more, not less common that American schools are, are segregated, are more segregated these days. Right. In the 70s and 80s, many school districts around the country were under court orders to desegregate. And in the 90s, the Supreme Court basically signaled it was time for courts to stop policing desegregation. And we've had a rapid, massive, resegregation since 1988. The main point of this PBS NewsHour piece is that after a long period of decline, segregation has been rapidly increasing since the 1990s. But of course, it's not true that white kids aren't allowed to go to black schools and black kids aren't allowed to go to white schools. So how does this segregation actually operate? How is it achieved? Well, here's where the housing comes in. Here in St. Louis, um, we have a very long history in innovating when it comes to keeping people away from each other. That's Lisa Clancy, chairwoman of St. Louis County Council. And in terms of young, ambitious, progressive politicians, she's essentially the regional equivalent of AOC. So we have a long history of sort of being some of the first in the country to test things like like housing um, deeds and racially restricted covenants and using zoning as a tool to separate black people and white people from living near each other. And, and I think we're still seeing the impacts of that today when I think about the fragmentation of our region and also how segregated our region still is. The thing I want to most focus on is that piece about zoning, because the primary mechanism for this segregation is simply affordability. White families typically have more money to spend on homes than black families, and so can buy in more exclusive neighborhoods. St. Louis probably isn't the primary place you think of when you think of the housing affordability crisis if you think of it at all. You probably think of San Francisco or New York City. But the thing is, is that while that may be true on average, it's less true at the margin. So I think generally people think of St. Louis and the Midwest as a really affordable place to live. And I think generally that's true, but we always have to ask for whom. 
for a lot of people that's true, but there's also a lot of people it's not true for, and we have data that backs that up. So when I started diving into the issue of affordable housing um, over a year ago, um, I learned based on data that St. Louis County has that about 25% of all households here in St. Louis County are considered burdened when it comes to housing. And that means if they are cost burdened when it comes to housing, they are spending over um, a third of their income on housing. To try and tease out why zoning might affect affordability, I talked to local developer Ryan Pennington. Probably the largest, one of the biggest challenges in in St. Louis, um, you know, it goes beyond just real estate, but it's kind of the fragmentation of the government. Uh, you know, the city of Kirkwood or, or De Pere or Maplewood. All those are wealthy communities with good school districts, and each of them have their own rules as to what housing can be built where and under what conditions. St. Louis County has 88 of these suburbs. While the county itself has lost population nearly every year since 2000, a select few of these suburbs are doing quite well. We have some municipalities, generally the more wealthy municipalities, that have very specific zoning policies that outlaw um, things that are, you know, multifamily units or that require a certain amount of square footage per lot, which inherently creates some inequities because when we talk about big lots, we talk about more money, which excludes people from having access to housing in certain areas. The length of the approval process also acts as a constraint on how much housing gets built. You know, for instance, the city of Kirkwood getting um, a condominium project approved, we, we think it's going to take us a year to go through approvals, to get pricing. Inconsistency is also an issue. Because the rules are so stringent, most projects are left to the discretion of individual council members, further restricting how much housing gets built. It, it depends on who's the mayor, who are the council people, who's on architectural reviews. And so sometimes you feel like there's a great council and you have a good relationship and you feel like... Uh, you know, you've you've put forth some good projects that should lead to a consistent decision on something, and, and it's not. All these rules ensure that the supply of housing isn't allowed to meet demand. This makes it more expensive and inefficiently distributed. All of this disproportionately hurts black kids and black families who are forced to stay where they are and go to the same bad schools. But this is supposed to be a unified campaign for policy change. So you're probably wondering what solution I found to all this. I'm not sure if I found a solution, but I think I might have a start. Because it turns out the people you might think are most inclined to bring about social justice-oriented change aren't doing everything that they could be. Because while most of St. Louis County is comprised of those 88 suburbs, a large swath remains unincorporated, including the area that falls within the Normandy School District that was mentioned earlier, the unaccredited one. The planning and zoning of these areas falls under the direct control of St. Louis County Council, under Lisa Clancy's leadership. So I was hopeful that this would mean that they had a different set of rules, that they were the exception, that housing would be more plentiful and affordable, and the rules easier to follow. But that turned out to not really be true. And it seemed curious, and I wanted to know why. Well, you're correct. We have, so St. Louis County, um, Many of us represent incorporated areas, which are in which are municipalities, but a third of St. Louis County's population is actually in unincorporated areas where there is not a municipality. And we see that primarily um, concentrated in South County and parts of North County and a little bit here and there in other parts of the county. 
The thing to remember here is that unincorporated North St. Louis County is largely black and the schools are largely bad. Unincorporated South St. Louis County is the opposite. The schools are pretty good and it's largely white. Um, but I think the kinds of zoning policies that you're talking about related to housing. She's referring here to the elimination of some of the rules and costly bureaucracy that we just covered. Essentially deregulation. Um, are are not necessarily something that the council has really dug into, but I think is definitely an area of opportunity in St. Louis County for us to really take a look at some of the policies related to zoning that have increased segregation and also um, perhaps had an impact on affordable housing. The impact of any potential reform like this is admittedly pretty limited. Most of the county is incorporated, and the most desirable parts and districts are especially incorporated. But it would be a start. First, the portion of the county that is unincorporated is expected to continue to grow in coming years, especially as the pandemic's full effect on tax revenue is realized, and more and more municipalities are forced to dissolve. Secondly, countywide zoning reform could have a signaling effect as well. If more liberally inclined municipalities begin to understand that zoning is a social justice issue, they too may be inclined to change the zoning within their jurisdiction. But all that's for later. All we can do now is start and know that the only ones that actually stand to benefit are the citizens of St. Louis County. Part of the struggle is a, a really kind of closed-minded and old system. There'd be a huge benefit from you know, St. Charles to downtown St. Louis to have consistent zoning and codes and a system for getting things approved to accommodate housing. Um, at the end of the day, our region is only as good as you know the health of the communities. Are people employed? Are they educated? Can they afford to you know rent or own homes or apartments or condos? And as a region, we bear that cost. The developers might bear it. The tenants might bear it short term, but long term. You know, it affects our region as a whole. So what can you do? Well, essentially you can apply pressure. You can let council officials know that that's where change starts. And then in each of the 88 municipalities, we can use our voice in city council meetings and in local papers to express the idea that housing is a social justice issue and that it's about time that we start treating it as such. The elimination of single family zoning Something as simple as allowing duplexes on every lot that currently only allows one home makes the world a better place, as silly as that sounds. And knowing that and spreading the word and allowing other people to build houses that are close to you is important work. Expressing that idea to a broader audience is even more important. People's hearts are in the right place. It's up to you to help them connect some dots. Uh, now we're seeing in Black and Latino schools a high concentration of poverty, which provides a very difficult learning environment and teaching environment. But also, uh, data collected by the U.S. Department of Education shows that to this day we have failed to make separate um, equal. And has, have we largely given up on the idea of integration? Well, I hope that's not true. A big thank you to Ryan Pennington and Lisa Clancy for their time. Thank you to Professor Tom Blaylock and my peers at the Masters of Science and Public Policy program at New York University. And as always, a very special thank you to you, the listener.